You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, Real Repentance, is part three in the series, The Actors, shared by senior pastor Dan Spencer. Well, thank you so much to our choir, all of our instrumentalists today. They've led us so well, and they do that week after week. I'm so grateful for uh, the commitment and the dedication of so many that make that happen week in and week out, and uh, we sure are grateful for all of you. I want to ask you to find in your Bible, please, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Uh, You probably know that a psalm is uh, something that God inspired and it was meant and written to be set to music. Now, uh, the book of Psalms contains 150 of these. We have lost the tune to all of them. But thank the Lord, we, we still, by the miracle of God's Word, have the lyrics and uh, some of them are really like prayers that God gives to us so that we can give them back to Him. Psalm 51 is a prayer like that. This psalm comes after King David had committed a series of horrible sins. And it's an, uh, what we find here is his prayer, which is an honest prayer of confession to God. Uh, and really it has become for us a model prayer that we can pray. It's one of those psalms that God gives to us so that we can pray it back to Him. I cannot tell you the number of times in my life that I have found myself turning to Psalm 51 because I needed to put into words the sorrow that I felt over my sin. And the many times, uh, as recently as the beginning of this service, sitting right over there, that I have called out to God a phrase from this psalm and said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Uh, God has given us this wonderful psalm to use in that way. Now, uh, this psalm comes after David's sins, And for us, it's a model for what to do after. We know what to do in the befores of life, before temptation comes, before the pressure is on to sin. Uh, We know that before, we ought to pray for strength. Uh, We ought to put on the armor of God before. We ought to obey God's word before. But what about the afters of life? What do you do? After you give in to temptation. What should we do after we do that thing that we've told God a thousand times we would never do again? What do you do after you fall? And Psalm 51 is the Bible's answer to that. So what we're doing is we're thinking through David's prayer in Psalm 51 all through the month of June. I'll finish this up next week, but I'm glad that today on Father's Day we're talking about this. I think it's important that we do it today. Uh, More than ever, I think you would agree, we need fathers who are godly, 
Fathers who love their families like Jesus. Fathers who fight the good fight, protecting their families from all that the world throws at us. We need fathers who help their kids to navigate the the changes that are happening all around us in our culture. And I just want to pause and say I thank God for so many fathers here at First Baptist Church who live like that and who love like that. Thank you so much, whoever you are. Uh, I believe we need to celebrate dads who provide well for their families and who lead their families well. We need to celebrate dads who model for their families what it looks like to pursue spiritual maturity. In fact, dads ought to set the pace for what it looks like to, to pursue maturity in Christ. Now, let me say this about that. We often get the wrong idea about what spiritual maturity really is. Uh, we get that wrong idea sometimes that the more mature you become as a Christian, uh, you eventually will reach a level where you no longer have to fight temptation like the rest of us lowly humans. And that the more mature you get, well, you, you get to a point where Satan's temptation and Satan's attacks have no effect on you anymore. And, and you no longer uh, have to deal with sin in your life. You, you never have to uh, ask anybody, including God, for forgiveness anymore because you reach this level where you just don't deal with sin. But can I tell you, that is not what spiritual maturity is. The great sign of spiritual maturity is not that you never sin, but it's how you deal with sin when you do it, when you do mess up. What do you do after? That's the sign of spiritual maturity. The truth is that the more mature a Christian is, the quicker they are to acknowledge their sin and run to God for cleansing. Uh, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity when we sin. And the way we handle that is we run from God and try to hide it. Spiritual maturity is when I mess up, I run to God and I seek His cleansing. Case in point, remember Isaiah, the prophet. He was the best man in the nation. Isaiah was the prophet of God. He was the godliest man of all. And it was in Isaiah chapter 6 that that man, the best one, uh, found himself standing in the very presence of holy God. And in the presence of God, Isaiah immediately became aware of and under conviction of his sin of, of something that he had been talking about, sinful things that he had said. And so Isaiah blurts out, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips and he said woe is me as he was he was just overwhelmed by his own sinfulness that is spiritual maturity he he owned it he he admitted it to the Lord and then the apostle Paul uh, in Romans chapter 7 said oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death Paul was the best of us. 
maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived. And yet, he was overwhelmed by his own sinfulness and he admitted it. He put it in writing and wrote it to the church at Rome for all to see, uh, to say, I, I struggle with this in my life and I'm desperate for God's help. That's maturity. And here we have David. The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. And at the pinnacle of David's life, when he was doing such good work and, and writing such powerful worship songs, it was then that David had a moral failure in an unguarded moment. He, he gave in to temptation and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then he tried to cover it up and he had her husband killed and then he married Bathsheba. Horrible things. But when David was confronted with the reality of his sin, what did he do? He didn't run away. He ran to the Lord and he shows us what it means to really repent and to seek forgiveness. In fact, when Nathan the prophet confronted David and said, you are the man, David owned it and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And out of that admission, David wrote this beautiful prayer in Psalm 51. As we've done, uh, as we did last week, let's read it again, uh, verses 1 through 17. And if you're ready to hear God's word, say amen. amen. All right, verse 1. David begins his prayer. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice as we continue this prayer, all the different ways David talks about being forgiven for his sin. It's like he thinks of every possible way to phrase that, every metaphor he can use, and that's how David prays. He says, blot it out. Wash me, cleanse me. In verse 3, he continues, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that I may be found just, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities." Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. 
Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall know or shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. What a prayer. And what David just did there, the Bible word for it is repentance. He repented of his sin. And listen to me, real repentance is the only path to forgiveness and cleansing of sin. And so we need to be really clear about what it means. And David helps us here from his prayer. He teaches us that real repentance means two major things. The first one is that real repentance means that I completely own my sin. I completely own it. In this prayer, did you notice? David just owns his sin. He takes responsibility for it in at least three ways. The first one is that David prays in essence, I blame only myself for my sin. Notice how David accepts all responsibility for what happened. I counted in this one prayer uh, 34 personal pronouns. I, me, my, mine. Uh, David says, it's my iniquity, my transgression, my sin. In verse 4, he says, against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. David doesn't blame God like Adam did in the Garden of Eden when he sinned. Adam said, God, this woman that you gave me, she made me do it. David doesn't blame Satan like Eve did in the Garden of Eden when she said, the serpent deceived me and he made me do it. David's attitude instead is, Lord, it's my sin. The blame belongs only to me. It's my iniquity. It's my transgression. I did it. And that's where real repentance begins. You don't blame anybody else. You don't blame your circumstances. You don't blame your mom and dad for the way you were raised. You don't blame God. You don't blame your red hair for your sassiness and your bad temper. Shout out to the gingers out there. You don't minimize your confession by shifting the blame on anybody else or anything else. The attitude of David's heart is the model for us. David's attitude was, hey, I'm the sinner here. I'm the problem. I am the one who is to blame. And then second, David uh, owns it by, by uh, just making it clear, Lord, I acknowledge the damage that my sin has done. I acknowledge the damage that my sin has done. In verse 14, David said, Lord, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. And that was true. 
Innocent blood had been shed because of the sinful action that David took. And David owns that. Lord, because of my sin, a man is dead. A good man is dead. Because of my sin, a family has been destroyed. Because of my sin, innocent people got hurt. And David acknowledges that it was his action that caused all the damage. And that really is the essence of repentance, isn't it? That he takes full responsibility. He's not making excuses. He's acknowledging the damage that his sin has done. And then a a third way David owns it is that he says, I know what I deserve because of my sin. I know what I deserve. David knew that his sin deserved God's judgment. That's why at the end of verse 4, he makes this statement. God, you will be found blameless when you judge. You will be found blameless when you judge. Now, what does that mean? Well, David is saying, God, because of what I've done, I own it. I'm to blame. I'm not pushing that off on anybody else. And so, Lord, just so you know, I I get it. I understand that whatever punishment you give me for what I've done, I deserve that. And whatever consequences you place on me or however you judge me for this, you're blameless. You're doing the right thing. I would deserve whatever you give me. Now, that's really getting down to owning your sin. David completely owns his own sins. And and this then is, is a full and honest confession. There's no doubt that David is truly sorry. He's truly sorry for what he's done. But real repentance does not end there. Real repentance is not just about being sorry. There's a difference in feeling sorry and being truly repentant. Uh, I'll show you that from a statement the Apostle Paul made. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We have two letters to them, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 1st Corinthians, Paul writes to them to rip this church. They had so much going on, ugliness, horrible things that they were doing in the church. And Paul just writes to to just uh, tell them what they've done. He exposes their sin, rebukes them for that. And and they were sorrowful because of that. It it hurt them. They, They were sorry for what they had done, but it didn't stay there. So listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9. He says to that church, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. You see, the two are different. Sorrow is a feeling. You can be sorry that you've done something and just sit and soak in your sorriness and yet never change. Real repentance happens when we follow God from that feeling of sorrow to a place of change. Repentance means you change. You've done something that has distanced you from God 
And now you want that to change and you do things that draw you closer to God. Here's what makes sorrow turn into real repentance. Not not just that I completely own my sin and I feel bad about that. But then, number two, I bring it to God. That's the key. I bring it to God. And David does this beautifully in his prayer. And he tells us why he brings it to God. And that is because, uh, first of all, uh, because David knows that God desires inner purity. God desires inner purity. Now follow this here. In verse 6, David makes this statement. He said, Behold... You desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Now, that's the kind of statement, it's a little awkward. We don't talk like that. And so it's easy to skip over. Let me read it again. He's saying to the Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. That is deep down inside me. And in the hidden part, You will make me to know wisdom. Here's what's happening in that one statement. David has moved beyond just feeling sorry for his sin. And he's moved toward a desire for God to cleanse him and to change him on the inside. He's saying this, Lord, I know what you want for me. I know that in place of the of the lies that I've told myself and others in place of the foolishness of my sin, I know you want that to be replaced with your truth and your wisdom. And God, what you want for the inside of me, I want the same thing. I can't stay the way I am. I'm sorry for what I've done. I can't stay there. I want what you want for my life. And you want truth. You want purity. Deep down on the inside. I think David's attitude was this. Lord, don't just forgive my adultery. I want you to change me all the way down inside me at at the point where that adultery came from. I want you to change me. I don't want to be that. I, I I want to be a man who is faithful. And so dig down deep, Lord, to where that adultery came from, to that part of me that is the point of of my lust and my desire to control others and my desire to have more than what you have provided for me. God, dig down deep and change me on the inside. I think his attitude was, Lord, don't just forgive my bad behavior, but then I I want you to, to go deeper and change me at the point of my pride. Where it all came from. My desire to to have things that are not right for me to have. God, I don't want that in my life. I want you to change me. And that really is real repentance. It's not just feeling bad about it. It's seeking God's sanctifying work that really changes you. That's what really brings the change. And then David, uh, I love how David brings his sin to God. uh, Not just knowing what God wants for his life and agreeing with that and desiring that change. But also, he brings it to God 
Because David knows that God alone has the power to cleanse him. God alone has the power to cleanse. That's how he began his prayer in verse 2. He said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, David didn't tell that to Bathsheba. She couldn't forgive him. David didn't tell that to the priest. He took it directly to the only one who could really do anything about it and forgive his sin. He took it to the Lord. Lord, you wash me. You cleanse me. You're the only one who can. No one else can do that but God. Now, if you've hurt someone, if there's damage in other people's lives because of the sin that I've done, I ought to seek their forgiveness. Uh, the forgiveness of people I've hurt is a wonderful thing to have, but it doesn't make my sin go away. Therapy can help you deal with your feelings about it, but therapy won't make your sins go away. Making restitution for those you've hurt will make you feel better about it, but it won't get rid of the sin. Only God can accomplish that. And so David cries out to God, wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And what I like is that at this point, David is not interested in just sort of managing his sin more effectively so that it doesn't get out of hand like it did with Bathsheba. He's not interested in uh, putting a leash on his sin so that it doesn't get out of control. he's He's not interested here in controlling it better and minimizing his sin. David knows, listen, I've got to kill it. I want it gone. I need the kind of cleansing that only God can bring, not just a surface cleansing, but a cleansing on the inside. Verse 7, David makes a statement that I think needs some explanation. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Why does David pray to the Lord, purge purge me with hyssop? Well, hyssop was a a particular shrub that God had instructed the, the Israelite priest to take a branch off of, that particular shrub. Scrub, a a hyssop branch. And they were to use that when they were going through this ceremony of of cleansing things that were unclean. They would dip that hyssop branch in, in water or sometimes in blood and sprinkle it on that thing that had become defiled and dirty. uh, So that it would be cleansed. And they would be praying, God cleanse this and make it holy. And so David takes that image that he was familiar with and he says, Lord, do that to me. Do it to me. I need you to, to, uh, with your mercy, with your grace, sprinkle me deep down on the inside and make me clean. Because Lord, if you cleanse me, I will really be clean. Only you can take my heart and make it clean again. And, uh, and then I love what David says in verse 7. He says, if you wash me, then I will be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. 
I think we all know what that means. But can I tell you what I think about every time I read that? I think about pigs. Pigs. Because when uh, my wife, Teresa, and I first started dating, uh, I remember when she took me for the first time to her home. She was raised on a farm in west central Illinois, a place called Pike County. And the first time she took me there, I didn't realize. I thought she was playing a joke on me. I didn't know she lived at the edge of civilization. We turned off a blacktop onto a gravel road, off the gravel road onto a dirt road before we got to her house. It went on and on and on till we were in the middle of nowhere. And I, I found that she lived on a beautiful farm there near the Mississippi River Many of her people there, she was uh, related directly to 250 out of the 500 people in the town that she grew up outside of. And I learned that many of her relatives were, uh, were farmers and some of them raised hogs. Now, it's not true anymore, but back then in the 80s, Pike County, Illinois had more hogs per, per acre than any other county in the United States. And it smelled like it. And some of her people raised hogs. And, and uh, I remember the first time that smell hit me. And I grimaced and I complained. And, and the farmer said what all hog farmers say. And that is, he went, smells like money to me. And I would, I would watch it as uh, we didn't have those in West Tennessee where I grew up. And, and I, I would look at these hog lots where these hogs had just mucked up that place like only a hog can do. And they would be just covered with that stuff up to their hips. I don't know if hogs have hips, but all the way up. Filthy, smelly, dirty. And then I remember some of those times when there was a fresh snow that fell. And I would pass those same old filthy hog lots covered with that new fallen snow. And suddenly everything that was dirty looked clean and fresh and new. It even smelled better. David says, Lord, that's what I want you to do to me. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. God has provided one way for us to receive that cleansing. And that is He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. And although Jesus was pure and holy and sinless, He went to the cross and He took responsibility for our sins, yours and mine. He dirtied Himself with the filth of our sin. And then he paid the ultimate price. He shed his blood. He gave his life in payment for our sins. So that if we place our faith in him, we can be washed clean. Whiter than snow in God's eyes. You may be sitting here today feeling guilty shameful, 
dirty. We've all been there. And you need to know that through Jesus and what he did on the cross, you can be washed clean. And in God's eyes, whiter than snow. One more thing. David is able, I want to end with this because it's so good. David is able to bring his sin and his guilt to God with confidence. I mean, it's like he just steps up confidently, even though he's humble, he's got this confidence to just say, God, wash me. It's not a question. It's a statement, a plea. God, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. How does David do that? He's guilty. He's owned it. How does he go to God with confidence? I think the answer is in verse 17. In verse 17, David says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, what does it mean to have a broken spirit and a broken heart? Well, it means that you acknowledge what your sin has done. How it's damaged you and how it's affected others and how it's an offense to God. And a broken spirit says, God, I'm desperate to be cleansed. I can't carry this around anymore. I'm carrying this guilt. I'm bearing all this shame. I can't live like this anymore. I know you can cleanse me and I'm coming to you in desperation and faith. God, relieve this. God, Make the sin go away. A broken and a contrite heart, he says. Oh God, you will not despise. Here's what David knew that gave him confidence even though he had sinned. And that is that God has mercy on the broken. God has mercy on the broken. David knows the heart of God. That when we completely own our sin and we bring it to Him with humility and brokenness... God does not resist that. God does not turn us away. He's not disgusted by us. Instead, what we find is that when we come to Him, His arms are open and He receives us and He says, I'll wash you whiter than snow. You may say, Pastor, but you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done, but I know the heart of my God. And that is, Your broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. He has mercy for the broken. And that's a good place to end today. Uh, I want us to have a time of of prayer and uh, commitment to the Lord. Can you just stand with me and uh, and let's just pray. Uh, I believe that one reason that God led me to this chapter, this psalm, for the month of June is this, that I believe there are, there are men in this room today, there are women in this room today, there are families here today who are one honest prayer away from revival. To finally get past it, to get victory in the Lord over that sin, over that guilt, over the shame. 
and to see God do something really special and powerful in your life and in your family. It could be that you're just one honest prayer away from revival. And so let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for the example of David. And Lord, I thank you that you have mercy for the broken. God, I pray that as you, by your Spirit, point out things in our lives right now that don't please you, ways that we have sinned against you, ways we have hurt others. God, give us that kind of heart that will just own it and then bring it to you. And Lord, we thank you that you have provided a way for our sins to be forgiven and cleansed. Lord, if there's someone here today who's been carrying that around, like a burden on their back. God, I pray today's the day they're going to throw that off. They're going to trust in you, come to you with that brokenness and that real repentance. And God, I thank you for the cleansing and the, the, the freedom and the relief that's going to follow that confession. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who has never before taken that first step, And place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they will turn from their sin and turn to you, Lord Jesus. And trust what you did on the cross for forgiveness. Lord, I thank you that since I was saved when I was 16 years old, that every Time and there must have been tens of thousands that every time I've come to you with real repentance and I've just been honest with you in prayer you have forgiven me you've welcomed me with your open arms of love and you've done a new work in my heart I pray that for every person every family here. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you look at Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.